Welcome to Wedding and Event Podcast. Frank podcast discussions for event professionals and those planning successful events. With wedding and special event consultant, Toby Dodge of Prepared.com. And Eric Zimmerman, pianist, DJ, and master of ceremonies of ElegantMusic.com. Hello, everyone. The title of this episode is Relatability. That's relate ability. Part of an event planner's job would be knowing their client and pairing them with the right vendors. In this episode, Toby relates a story about recommending two different photographers to a client who had expressed a desire for certain qualities in their photographer. This story illustrates several attributes to consider when choosing someone to work with. Toby calls this the relatability of someone. To this point, Toby described the photo taken during a wedding reception. In addition to capturing a moment of guests thoroughly enjoying themselves, the photo also shows the service staff smiling and genuinely enjoying being of service to the guests. A good time was had by all. And now please enjoy Relatability. From someone who does not sing, who does not write music, does not sing, <laughs> who does not arrange music. But I've been around long enough to have learned a little. Oh, yeah. And you know what you like. And uh, in fact, I, I just want to, that's a good point. That, you know, it all comes down to what do you like? And and as you had pointed out, actually, I thought it was, you know, it's funny how certain datums sit in my mind and then, I hear something else and I kind of compare that original datum to this new datum Mm -hmm. and, and I go, Oh yeah, that, that first datum really is true. And, and, and what you were talking about in particular was, uh, it's what's important to the client Mm -hmm. and it really does speak to, or what's important to the client. You'll wind up seeing what their viewpoint is. And then aligning other services or other data or other stuff, ideas, along that viewpoint, you know, what of what's important to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a for instance, and I, I didn't expect to talk about this, but now that you are talking about it, um, sometimes you learn something from a different angle that you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've spoken of this couple before, but I met them about a year ago. And even though I wasn't planning their wedding personally, I did sit down with them for a couple of hours. And, you know, you get to get to know them just like you do. And you sense what they would like. Mm-hmm. And so you offer some suggestions and they'd asked me about some services and I gave them the name of a team of photographers, two main photographers, and they have a couple others that are secondary, mm-hmm. which is not unusual today to have that in a business. And I gave them one of the partners and through a course of 
uh, events, that person was uh, became unavailable. Hmm. And so I suggested that they meet the other partner. And they were very amicable about it. And mm -hmm. they met. And they just really liked the second one. And I almost thought they liked him better because their remarks were very interesting. They sent me an email and they said, we were just wondering why you suggested the first photographer mm -hmm. when you did. So that kind of told me, well, gee whiz, we really like the second one as much or if possibly even better. Uh -huh. So they wanted to know the rationale. Okay. So I, I said to them, you know, I wrote back and I said, it was really a gut reaction. I just thought you would really appreciate the first photographer's exuberance in his personality mm -hmm. and the way he captures light while the other photographer has a more straightforward way of shooting but does really well with groups and he has more of a dry sense of humor And I don't know if I'll ever find out, really. <laughs> and uh -huh. it's really none of my business which one they like, you know, better possibly. Uh -huh. Or they're curious as to why. Um, now, one of the reasons, and it's now coming back to me that we're, we're talking, is the second person, which I did not give them at first, is about 10 years older than the okay. first photographer. All right. And because I had helped a relative of the bride's wedding uh, a few years ago, she made a couple of comments that led me to believe, without saying it outright, that they wanted to have a youthful um, kind of team without really saying, look, you know, you had great people, Toby, but that was for my older brother. Right. You okay. know, so when someone says things like that, to me, it's a clue. That oh, yeah. They would just be happier with a younger team, you know, uh -huh. or someone they could relate to more. Right. And... I didn't even realize it when I wrote her back. <laughs> but talking to you this morning, it's coming back to me. And it's funny, but they ended up liking the older photographer. Mm -hmm. And I find that fascinating because that's happened to me too, mm -hmm. where I sense when a mother and daughter comes, because I think... You mentioned about different types of brides that we could talk about today. Yes. And some brides have a clear idea that they come in and they they want to relate to the person in a certain way. Uh -huh. And so if that person 
doesn't fit exactly what they were thinking of, they kind of shut down a little. Not totally, but they kind of shut down. Yes. And the service, whoever it might be, kind of feels like they got to work a little harder. They have to kind of draw them out and try and and find that place where they have something in common. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't flow when you know somebody is coming to meet with you and they have some concept of who you are, yes. whether it's your reputation or your age or your style or whatever. So this was a little bit of a turn around, which kind of shows me that no matter how hard you try to be available and flexible, there are certain characteristics that we all have, whether we can even fight against it. I don't even know you can It's just natural tendencies. And one of them is to the relatability of someone. And we do make those decisions based on not only someone's reputation or personality, but their physical characteristics as well. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've come to realize that in doing the matching system through prepared, that we have not centered on focusing, I should say, on those kind of attributes. And I think it was wise for us not to, because you can pigeonhole someone where it doesn't always apply. That's right. Uh And if you ask someone so many specific questions to the point that they are making those decisions based on these outer, I'll call it, features, Mm -hmm. or the exterior (laughs) features, you run the risk of missing out on some great people or even places. You know, I'd be the first to admit it. When I go into a restaurant, I, I look at various things. Uh, or when I'm in a banquet room and I'm looking at how well the service people are keeping the room, meaning where they have different wash stations or uh, beverage stations, whatever. You see if there's a pile of dishes in a tub or if they're immediately removed, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We all see things like that. But I'll tell you something. It wasn't until I was probably in the business a good 10, 15 years 
that I was standing in, happened to be the Ritz-Carlton and Marina Del Rey in the Marina Vista room. Sure. And the photographer had captured one side of the room. It was just one of those photos of people enjoying themselves. And it was probably toward the end of the main course. Mm -hmm. And he was such a good observer. He just caught a moment. And I got to tell you, it has been one of my favorite photos of all time. Mm. Not because of the glamour or the beauty. It's a black and white photo. Uh So that, again, makes it easier to look at the expressions, the feeling. Somehow, I think black and white photography, and I know I'm getting off subject, but (laughs) really can tell a story sometimes better than than a color. Yeah. And it was the expression on everyone, but the most revealing expressions were the servers uh-huh. and the maitre d and the bartender all around that side of the room for that moment in time it stood still and the expressions on everybody was joy mm. fun contentment they were involved in conversation and the maitre d and the bartender and the server were standing in their different positions around the that side of the room with such oh just a a pleasant face on them like they were really happy to be there it was something that they felt good about. I'm telling you, it's those kind of moments that you know everybody is in the right place doing what they need to do for the right reasons. And I just hope other people experience what I did, you know, over I and have over again. That. I have oh, definitely experienced that. Great. Great. I think it's a, it's a, especially with service staff, it's a, it's a responsibility that they have to serve those Mm -hmm. guests or those members or however Mm -hmm. they're, they're, and they, they see that they're achieving that. You know, they're seeing that there's a great time being had here and they just have this, they are sharing in that great Mm -hmm. time. They're participating, or they they helped cause that great time, and I particularly see this in the higher end um, uh, locations, where you have this dedicated staff. They they've been there for twenty years, thirty years. Yeah. They've been they they're really just um, really there, and uh, they genuinely care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And it's it's not that they're punching the clock or that they're you know no. waiting for the, uh, you the know, next course for the next <laughs> course or something. No, they're right in there, and uh, and their efforts do in fact contribute greatly mm-hmm. to the uh, 
the whole the whole thing the whole thing and then yeah you're right then so you get it from uh not only the the guests themselves enjoying themselves but then the the service staff if you go go further out and you look at the service staff and they're enjoying it and it be, you're right it becomes a an agreed upon experience it, yeah and and i see it that it's great and i see that at the end of a of an event sometimes where mm. the the service staff just got done with a really successful event and, and everyone the family they're hanging out they're not just leaving you know their music is over and yet there they are they're they're hanging out and and the service staff are, are kind of like enjoying those guests being being with those guests you could see it yeah because they they tended to interface with the service staff too in other words there was a reciprocal feeling of appreciation throughout the evening. It wasn't just the service staff doing well. It was the way they, there was interaction. Yes. It's, uh, I had, um, okay. (laughs) Um, One of the things that I observed by playing the higher end clubs, private clubs, is that there always is a host. Mm-hmm. There's a host, there's a captain, and mm-hmm. then there are other service staff that, um, that so there's a hierarchy there. And then there's the club oh, yeah. manager, then there's the club manager. So there's a whole, mm-hmm. there's a s- several layers of responsibility there. But I, I wrote a piece, I wrote a blog spot that actually got picked up on eZine. Oh yeah, Actually, yeah, and it's called the value of interest, mm-hmm. and the the better clubs they actually I I don't think they necessarily train their staff into doing it, doing it this way, but I think they might hire the staff based on this. It's their level of interest or their the level of engagement, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying like a hi, how are you, and you're all up on your face. <laughs> But it is a, um, and here's an example. The, uh, the host might walk through a dining room and he's observing. His eyes are all over the place mm-hmm. and he's observing. And he sees maybe someone's, oh, let's say their napkin needs to be folded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he might come over and, and introduce himself, say hello. And he just, just fixes that napkin and then he'll see that um, the wine glass might need to be, you know, uh, filled. And then he's mm-hmm. he's kind of motions over someone else to, to to please pour the wine. And then he he might engage in some kind of small talk with the mm-hmm. the couple. How was your trip? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and he he'll know something about the couple, especially in the in the private clubs because they oh of course they know they know their their clientele. And so there's this moment when uh, this maitre d' comes up and he just (laughs) says hi to everybody. And when he leaves, and he's only there for maybe 30 seconds to a minute at the most. But when he leaves, the couple, the the guests seated at that table are smiling. They're engaged with each other. The level of communication, the level of interaction goes up. And he mm-hmm. moves on to another table. 
and yeah. might not necessarily be the next table, but he might look look around and just see what table needs yeah. attention. And he, he might observe maybe a couple, they're, they're quietly, um, oh, I don't know, if they're quietly talking and they're quietly engaged, he doesn't bother them. No. But so it's, it's an interesting balance. So I've adopted some of these techniques when I, uh, when I, when I work a room, so to speak. And mm -hmm. uh, let's say I'm playing piano and then uh, during dinner hour, and this wouldn't be at a wedding, this would be more of at a restaurant or more of mm -hmm. at a, a public place. And I would go over and I would, I would say, good evening, my name is Eric, I'm your pianist this evening. And um, is there a song I could play for you? I'm taking requests. Mm. And then sometimes that, you know, has they, they start to think about songs and then each of them start to go back and forth about songs. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly there's that interaction again. And I write, write down the request. And then later on, I'll, I'll play that song. I'll, I'll go, through the, yeah. go through the room and get that. And then what's nice is that I'll come back. Now, again, if they're involved in engaged conversation and they're really doing it mm -hmm. um, and enjoying themselves, I'm not going to bother that. No. But if they're kind of like kind of within themselves and they're not really interacting with each other, maybe I would go over and, and just put that in. And stir the pot just a bit. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It really is. Uh, I think observing is, is a very big part of making an event really run well. And listening mm -hmm. as well. Listening not only to the volume of engagement that you see here from the various tables... But it's a sensing issue over time. You know when everything is coming together and it's just clicking. You just, you just know it. And, and then on the opposite side, when the energy just isn't in the room and you get the feeling that it feels like an obligation <laughs> almost that the people are there rather than enjoyment mm -hmm. that you can feel that too. Oh yeah. And I think getting around to what we thought we might be talking about <laughs> today, <laughs> you always try so hard uh, to think of good things. Uh but I think when you first meet someone and you learn about them, you kind of get a sense of if you really are careful to listen mm -hmm. and get their, their personality, mm -hmm. of course, you, they have to be relaxed and trust you in order to do that. It goes both ways. Mm -hmm you can guide it, kind of get a feeling for how that event's going to go. Oh, yes. You know? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people that come together that influence the atmosphere and all. However, sometimes I'm surprised, I have to say, where I'll, I'll had, I will have had a couple come and 
they seem a little uptight, you know, kind of, you know, centered on the details rather than just having a great time. And, and for some people, I get that it has to be a certain way for them to have a great time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm always amazed when they have some great people there that I never thought that <laughs> that they would attract. <laughs> I just didn't think, oh, I'm surprised, you know, that they had some really fun people there. So you don't always know. However, I'm always grateful if we're able to get from the couple or the family members involved as to generally what their values are, Mm -hmm. what they hold most dear to happen or not to happen. Uh I'm curious, when they come to talk with you about music, do most couples tell you what they want or what they don't want? Is there... A balance there is something first on their mind. What what really happens? Well, okay, just right off the bat, what came to mind was if a couple is really reserved and really cautious, mm-hmm. they'll give me a do not playlist before we ah. talk about what to play. However, okay. if they are very relaxed and very you know creative and and really enjoying themselves, then it's a hey, play this, you know. So it's kind of that's a that's a line there uh, that I've observed uh, over the years. Um, I, but sometimes we really don't know what we want. We just know what we don't want. Well, okay, okay, and and you know we have to clear away those. Well, I personally I think that when you get into a situation like that where you really don't know what you want. But you definitely don't want this to have, this other thing to have happen. That that I find it necessary to help clear away those concerns, and not that they're not valid concerns, but usually those concerns uh, have originated in a bad experience or uh-huh. in, a, in, a, in a in an earlier example of that happening. And sometimes if I'm working with a client that is uh, reticent to really talk to me, I'll, I'll just go after the concerns. So what concerns do you have? Or ha- have you been to other weddings that seemed the master of ceremonies talked too much? Mm. Or that it was all about the DJ? and not about the couple or concerns like um, have you ever been to a, a, an event or a wedding that seemed disorganized? Usually those types of questions sets them, brings them back to that original thought or that, excuse me, that original experience from mm-hmm. which they've uh, generated this thought of well, I don't want the, I don't want you talking too much. No, 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 no announcements. No, no, we're not going to have any announcements whatsoever. 
And, Has that really happened oh, to you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was it was very interesting because uh, this one bride, and she was very adamant about no uh, announcements. And so I said, well, what about scripted announcements where I would, and well, well can I introduce you into the room, <laughs> you know, and this type of thing. And then I was, I was very careful to write it out. And yeah. she approved upon, okay, you just say this. I said, okay, I'll just say that. that that's fine. <laughs> and and so I think that's why the itinerary as a planning device is very, very important. Because it, it functions many, many ways and it, and it helps to stabilize many, many aspects. But in this case, the, I say that the, uh, the couple has absolute control over what I say. Mm-hmm at an event and so we just mm-hmm. script it out and here it is well she didn't want me to announce that uh, uh, you know that there will be a first dance and that the uh, couple will be going out to the dance floor and that if you would all kind of follow she says oh they'll, they'll just know they'll just follow along so she gets yeah and so she gets done with her thank you and she says, thank you. And she's standing there. And I know that this would be the time that I would do this announcement. I knew. It. But I was instructed not to. And so I just sat there. And so she said, thank you. He, she and the groom said, thank you. And then there was this pregnant pause. Oh. Where she was expecting something to happen. And she didn't realize it was me that, that would have facilitated that. But she just thought everybody would get up and walk over to the dance floor. And what's interesting is that in this particular situation, the dance floor was a, a few steps a away. Distance. It was a distance mm. away. And so I always have to uh, look at those logistics to get the group over. Or else you're going to do that first dance by yourself. <laughs> you know? uh, Anyway, anyway, so, so yeah. How there, did you get around it? What happened? Well, what happened was that I did make the announcement. In other words, they they walked over, and then I would say, "Ladies and gentlemen, please join the bride and groom in observing their first dance. Let's support them in their first." And and boom, they all stood up. It was a great. It was easy crowd. I mean, it was yeah. easy. But that was probably the first words out of my mouth the entire night to get them. To, you know what I, yeah. what I mean? Uh, so it was, it was interesting. I, I just find that as a master of ceremonies that, yes, it's not about me. No. And that the more scripted it is, the better for me and for also the client because the client will know that they're going to get what they paid for, what they, what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, However, I've seen you. And know that your sides that you say occasionally are very good and very apt well, to you. the to the moment. Thank you. So <laughs> I lean um, a little the other way personally. In other words, I feel, and I've always said this to the couples that I have worked with, that you have to trust the professionals to sense what is needed at the time. Uh-huh. So it's nothing, I, I, I'm grateful when a couple knows, look, we don't want a chatty, 
MC or we we don't we want somebody who's more reserved or we want somebody who's going to rock that floor. In other words, Hell yeah. it, a, any of the above <laughs> is fine uh-huh. as long as they get what they want and it doesn't offend any, you know, anyone <laughs> tremendously. But the the point is is when you have someone who senses those lulls or realizes that, okay, there's a bunch of college uh, friends on the dance floor uh, toward the end of a course taking pictures, and you know that they're about to have uh, their next course come out, Mm -hmm. and the servers cannot get by them to serve because of where the door is to the kitchen. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You've seen that. I know that. And so the right thing to do, is, especially when the maitre d' comes over to you and says, we're about to serve, you know, clear the dance floor. What in the heck are you supposed to do? <laughs> well, I I have had situations where a couple does not want any announcements, literally. Right. Just like that other couple. And if you make the announcement, it's because something so major is going to happen that you're, you know, you have to, you know, say something. Mm-hmm. So it was a situation with hand signals. I saw what was happening and I said, you know, more or less, leave it to me. And I waltzed myself over to that group of college friends and said, you know, our dinner's being served in just another minute. Can we finish that last song? I mean, that last pose over here perfect. instead of here. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. The, the DJ could not have done it right. because the perception was that everybody in the room would hear. In, in a way, it would have been better for the DJ to say that because it would have allowed everyone to make a decision. Do I go to the bathroom? Do I take a smoke? Do uh-huh. I sit in my seat? Oh, I wanted to say hi to Aunt, you know, Amy, and I can't now because the meal, the, the course is about. I mean, nobody realizes what you say has a multiple, multitude of meaning for everybody in mm-hmm. a different way. Mm-hmm. Because they're all in a different spot in their heads at the time. So it's interesting when a couple has perceived of a certain atmosphere that they want things to be seamless and just kind of flow and just happen, just happen. Sure. And I had this especially early on. Uh, in my career, I had a lot of couples who said, you know, we just want to go with the flow. We're not so, you know, concerned about, you know, when the toasts happen, not realizing that the kitchen cares a hell of a lot because <laughs> they've got to clear or they've got to pour the champagne and oh, they yeah. need 10 minute warning. And, you know, and you try and explain that to them. And, and I always wanted to to meet them where they were. And I said, I know it feels so good when something is just relaxed and it just seems to have a natural rhythm. And 
I got to tell you, that's created. It is not always natural. That's right. It, it is created because people sense what needs to be done and it looks effortlessly. That's right. It should. Yeah. But it's orchestrated. That's right. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> what a diff. <laughs> I can just see events flying through my head that we scrambled like crazy because we literally had to have two timelines, one for the couple and one for the back of the house uh-huh. because we had to give deadlines Right. because they had shifts that they had to be concerned about. Right. And if if we didn't let them know, how could they back end when to put the meat in or the chicken or God knows what, you know, you wouldn't know. Wow. <laughs> I mean, the couples never knew. But no. And they, sh- they shouldn't necessarily. No. no. Why bother them? That's right. But it's. But I've had enough maitre d's look at me. <laughs> <laughs> over the years you know and and they will put up one hand with all five fingers and that you knew you have five minutes to do whatever you had to do before that course was coming out and god help you if you if you weren't ready and i don't mean i don't mean to make them bad guys it's far from that yeah Um, Because we rely on that. In fact, we depend on them for being accurate. Because you know and I know when they say they give you the two, the three, the five minute warning and it doesn't come out. Oh, my heavens. That is that can be disastrous. I mean, I use that word advisably, but it can. Mm -hmm. Because how many times have you been in a situation where someone told you, seat them at the end of the next song, whether you're playing in the band or as a DJ, and you dutifully seat everybody and they don't come out. Now, we can handle 30 seconds. It's okay. No biggie. But when it gets to be two minutes, it seems like an eternity. Yes. Has that happened to you? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing that just came to mind just then, what what you're talking about, was that um, a good wedding coordinator will line up the wedding processionals. They'll get Mm -hmm. everybody lined up ahead of time. And then they'll go over to the band leader and they'll, they'll mm-hmm. give us, say, okay, we're starting. A high Time, sign, yeah. The, the, the high sign. But I have gotten high signs to start. <gasps> and then they go and they line everybody up or then they go find everybody. And here oh, we're, no! Yeah, and we're playing the first piece and it's a beautiful piece and everything like this and nobody's showing up, nobody's showing up, nobody's showing up. <gasps> okay, so, so that's one thing that, that just came to mind when... <laughs> 
when you were talking about that. Yeah. The other thing about timing and the other thing about um, particularly wedding ceremonies is that especially if you have a, it doesn't necessarily have to be a large wedding party, but if you have a, a, a space where you could really stretch out as far as uh, the bridesmaids coming in, you know, there's, there's a mm-hmm. bit of a walk. You know, mm-hmm. I find that that's beautiful. If you could, if you could let the first bridesmaid go, and then halfway down the mm-hmm. walk, whatever where it is, mm-hmm. the distance, you send the next one following, mm-hmm. and then when that person gets halfway, then the next person comes out. Mm-hmm. And after five bridesmaids, you know, you've you've gone through about a minute and a half of of a beautiful mm-hmm. piece of music, and it's orchestrated mm-hmm. and choreographed yeah. beautifully. Well, okay, now. The music technically should stop when this person, uh, the last person of that group is in place. Yeah. And then the musicians can turn the page and, st- and start the next piece, up, which the next yeah. group of people will be coming out. However, I've worked with church coordinators or inexperienced wedding coordinators where they send everybody down in a great big uh, cattle Line. call. Mm-hmm. And so the the five bridesmaids will come out, you know, uh, right right behind the the parents walking out, and there is no change. And Ooh. then the bride is already walking out behind the, and she doesn't even get her own piece practically. Oh my and then, god! And then you have to stop the piece, and then you have to then start the piece, and it looks so bad, where yeah. it's just a little bit of a of a pause, a little bit of a relaxing and thing. Uh, take a moment and breathe <laughs> and then send the next group down yeah you know, in, in that yeah. way and then it's it's so beautiful so so yeah it's really great to work with a with a coordinator where i could i Sheila and i always go over this ahead of time before yeah. the wedding wedding ceremony yeah. but, but some you of know, them don't get you're it you're right um i i think well it depends on the church i know that when you have multiple uh, ceremonies occurring in a day, especially let's say at a Catholic church, sure. where they allow an hour and a half uh, for the the entire ceremony if, if you're seating, lucky, if you're lucky, I know. You'll get an hour but, and a half if you're lucky. Yeah, and so there's a tendency, especially. If, if, you know, because I know, at least this is what I experienced, they want the mothers of the bride to be seated um, at the call time for the ceremony. Mm-hmm. So if, if it's a 10 o'clock in the morning ceremony on a Saturday at 10 o'clock, those mothers are lined up, we're all lined up, and those mothers go down <laughs> the aisle. Mm-hmm. Now. If they're given a separate song, they'll allow the the parents, you know, to be seated with that song. And we close the doors. Right. And once they are seated, the music changes. And then we open the doors. Mm-hmm. And I, I encouraged everybody that I worked with to close those doors. And not to worry if if they have a hard time hearing. I know it doesn't sound fair. However, 
you can sense, I don't know what it is, but if you allow yourself to sense it, you know when it's appropriate to open those doors. Mm-hmm. Not on the first note of the second song. It's okay to have a couple of bars of music happen without somebody being seen. Mm-hmm. Not a minute. <laughs> That's way too long. But a couple of bars, it's okay. Yes. It kind of lets you know, okay, someone else is coming. Turn around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then they go. It's it's interesting. It really is. I was in a temple one uh, Saturday early evening. And we had lined everybody up. And I think I've told you this before. And the maid of honor had to go to the bathroom. I mean, it was really an emergency. She had to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure if she read my face, it was as if to say, oh, my God, do you really have to go <laughs> that badly? You know, right now, <laughs> right now, you know, and and she just looked at me. I said, go. And the rabbi was up there already on the bima which is the stage area where the chuppah is, yeah. uh, where they'll get married underneath. And I didn't start the procession because I said, the way she looked at me, I'm not taking any chances. So I looked through the little curtain we had, and I saw the rabbi crossing his legs, uncrossing them, crossing them again (laughs) and I knew that this rabbi was getting annoyed you know how he had to go to the bathroom I don't know or he (laughs) had to go (laughs) but he he was adjusting in his seat and I was saying oh my god what am I gonna do so I went back to the bathroom and I said to her are you almost finished I think so I mean it was awful. It was awful. So I, whenever I used to do weddings at, at a place like this temple, you know, more than once, in other words, I would try and have some signals and, you know, simple ones like a timeout, you know, or if, if there was a problem, I... I would put my hand across my forehead. In other words, oh boy, this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Which he saw me do. And and so, you know, his eyes kind of bugged out. And then, then I gave him the two-minute warning. Because I said to myself, I am not making two little kids and, you know, a, a wedding party of maybe 20 people way too long. Right. And so within a minute or so we started going and she came out just in time and Good. we were fine. But I would have gone without her. Uh-huh. I I would have. Yeah, because you know, we probably waited a good 5 or 7 minutes when wow. we could have gone. And that was a long time. That is a long time. You know, when you know, there's music, the organ, but you know, you go through all the songs that you're supposed to play. 
then the organist, you know, kind of looks like what's going on here. So I would characterize today um, as a exploration of how brides and grooms approach their decision making when they when they uh, first meet with services in other words that um, how they come prepared some um, come with very exact ideas and opinions others are more open and how that translates to the kind of event that they're going to have. Mm -hmm. And under that, we talked about the pacing, how that affects the pacing, the behaviors of the DJ or band leader. In other words, how much to talk, and if to talk and and what the ramifications are of those decisions yes okay and what creates that special uh, feeling when an event is really going well how do you know and the the role of the service staff in making that event feel special mm-hmm. is sometimes overlooked. I think this is parallels very, very well the, the creative process in, in putting a, together a wedding. You yourself have said that uh, it, wedding planning is not linear mm-hmm. and that there's a, a certain um, give and take that does occur. Mm-hmm. And in certainly ideas don't come you know one two three four a b c d exactly exactly because it's not a syllabus you know it's not a a a table of contents you know we're not following a book so to speak right well i've tried to organize this in in a way that we can go about this in an organized fashion. Indeed, a, a bride yeah. and groom would uh, want to go about wedding planning mm-hmm. in an organized fashion. I think that's uh, one of the, just just the innovations of, uh, the brilliant innovation of prepared and mm-hmm. ha- helping mm-hmm. orient a, a couple as to what's expected of them and how they can get the most out of this new experience because they really don't yeah. have anything to compare it to. So it is a guide and it is a... Yeah. Although, you know, it's interesting because one of the questions I've asked and I know are asked of of couples and families is, have you ever organized another big event? So for some people, they'll say, oh, yes, my daughter's quinceanera Mm -hmm. or a bar bat mitzvah or a sweet 16 you know, or a graduation party. Now, they don't necessarily compare in in some fashion to some people in the importance. 
But I find that many families have. It's the bride or groom that may not have done the planning themselves mm-hmm. and now are in that position. Mm-hmm. But they've been around celebrations. And this is why my original, um, how could I say it, my original premise for this discussion was the mm-hmm. types of brides and types of events. Mm-hmm. And that, um, and so I, I look forward to getting back to this subject with you mm-hmm. and having this, uh, this discussion where, yes, it might be a new experience for the bride and groom, but then there are certain things that have been established by other family activities. Exactly. And, and so that's a very good question for a, uh, a wedding vendor to ask uh, or a wedding coordinator to ask is, uh, well, have you done anything like this before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because even family reunions, oh, yeah. that takes a lot of organization. Oh, yeah. Or if if they've been a part of a, I guess, sorority or fraternity. Mm-hmm. Or if they've been in a service organization, if they've done any nonprofit uh, events, if mm-hmm. they've been a part of them. Right. Uh, or if, if they've been a Boy Scout, Girl Scout, and like myself, a campfire girl, which nobody remembers. I remember but... <laughs> Thank you. So there are so many different experiences that require organization to pull them off yes and i think the families that do it all the time probably just take it in stride like it's no big deal you have been listening to wedding and event podcast with toby dodge and eric zimmerman if you have a question comment or topic suggestion please call Eric at 626-797-1795 or contact Eric by email, eric at elegantmusic.com. That's E-R-I-C at elegantmusic.com. Contact Toby by email, toby at prepared.com. That's T-O-B-E-Y at P-R-E-P-A-I-R-E-D.com. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and receive a new episode each week. Thank you for listening.